Hi, I'm Shira Greenspan. Welcome to I've Got a Question, a place to dive into the questions that you ask. Kids have been sending in questions from all over the world. I wonder what today's question is going to be. Hi, I'm Elisa Alman from Teaneck, and I've got a question. Why is Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaZikaron right next to each other? Especially since Yom HaZikaron is such a sad day and Yom HaZikaron is a happy one. Thanks, Eliza. That's a great question. What is Yom HaZikaron? Well, it's the day we remember soldiers and other people who were killed for Israel. So why is it right next to Yom HaZikaron? Well, what's Yom HaZikaron? It's the day we celebrate our independence. Yeah, Eliza, that switch from the sadness of Yom HaZikaron to the happiness of Yom HaZikaron, it seems strange. In Israel, the full name of Yom HaZikaron is Yom HaZikaron L'Chalalei Ma'arachot Yisrael Unifka'ei Pe'ulot Ha'eva, the Memorial Day for the Fallen Soldiers of the Wars of Israel and Victims of Terrorism. It's meant to be an intense day because nearly everyone in Israel knows someone who lost somebody close to them. And so the whole country remembers those heroes together. Over the course of Yom HaZikaron, there are things that help set the tone for the day. Yom HaZikaron in Israel begins with a siren at 8 p.m. That sounds all over the country for one full minute. During the siren, we stop whatever we're doing and stand in absolute silence to show our respect for those who have died for the sake of Eretz Yisrael. All places of entertainment, like theaters and cinema and sporting arenas, are closed. Even TV on Yom HaZikaron isn't about being entertaining and focuses instead on the seriousness of the day. Some channels show the names of every single person that has died for the modern state of Israel. More than 23,000 names. And then in the morning, there's another siren to begin the remembrance ceremonies, like the one that takes place at the cemetery on Har Herzl. Again, everyone stops what they're doing and stands in absolute silence. Even cars that happen to be driving at the time stop, and the drivers get out next to their car and stand until the siren is over. Many people in Israel spend Yom HaZikaron visiting the graves of fallen soldiers. People light memorial candles and flags throughout the country are lowered. There are special prayers that we say. Memories are shared. There's a real sense of a country mourning. But then, just before sunset, across the country and in many Jewish communities around the world, there is a tekes ma'avar, a ceremony of transitioning from Yom HaZikaron to Yom HaAtzma'ut. And all of a sudden, it's a celebration. Singing, We rejoice in this day that Hashem has given us. Dancing, fireworks, and that's just at night. The next day, the whole country is decorated in blue and white. No school, families and friends get together, enjoying our beautiful land, picnics and barbecues, concerts, and so much more. Yom Ha'atzma'ut is such joy. And of course it is. For over 2,000 years, we didn't have our homeland. Now there's so much to celebrate. But going into that celebration after a day as sad as Yom HaZikaron can be really challenging. It's just a strange experience to switch emotions so suddenly like that. Which is why I can't stop thinking about your question, Eliza. Why don't we just have our Memorial Day and our Independence Day in separate parts of the year like they do in other countries? 
Whenever I have a big question, particularly about Israel, I turn to my teacher, Rev. David Millstone. Rev. Millstone runs Midrashat Harova, a seminary in the old city of Yerushalayim. He has written many books, including a Haggadah, which I illustrated, called the Shirat David Haggadah. Hi, Rev. Millstone. Welcome to I've Got a Question. Thanks for joining us. Can you tell us a little about yourself? Uh, my name is David Milston. I uh, come from London, just outside London, Edgware. I've been in Israel for 30 years, and I work in a school in the old city called Midrashat Harova. Rev. Milstone, Eliza has a question. Why are Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaAtzma'ut right next to each other, especially since Yom HaZikaron is such a sad day and Yom HaAtzma'ut is such a happy one? The historical reason for Yom HaZikaron as far as I'm aware, and obviously uh, it's, we're very proud of it here in uh, Gush Etzion, where I live, is the fact that as David Ben-Gurion was about to proclaim, declare the state of Israel, he, he got a message that Malka Nafla. Malka Nafla, Malka was the code name for Gush Etzion. Gush Etzion fell moments before the declaration of the state of Israel. And uh, David Ben-Gurion at the time asked for a moment's silence. The people in Gush Etzion are of the opinion that that is the original source of Yom HaZikaron. That, uh, and, and there were people were dying on the, on, as soon as we declared the state of Israel, um, war broke out almost immediately. And uh, there had already been a bit of a war beforehand, but once the declaration came out, war broke out. Uh, so that's a historical perspective. Uh, it, that's the way it happened. Oh, so the very first moment of silence to honor soldiers who died fighting was the moment just before Israel actually declared independence. Wow, so that makes sense that pretty much ever since then, we do a commemoration and moments of silence right before celebrating our independence. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, of Millstone. And uh, I, I have a suggestion that I would add to that, which obviously isn't the plain interpretation of the way things played out, but it's the way I understand it. It's the way... I, I celebrate both days using celebrate in, 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 a, in a more expansive way. It wasn't so long ago that we celebrated Purim. And as we know, the day before Purim is the fast of Esther. Now, what does the fast of Esther have to do with Purim? Because we know that the fast of Esther historically took place in Nisan. It didn't take place in Adar. And it was for three days and not one day. So what does the fast of Esther have to do with Purim, and why is it the day before Purim? And you can see that I'm going to connect this in a second. The Gemara asks a question, why the Megillah doesn't start in the third chapter with Haman coming to power? And the Gemara answers with a general rule saying that uh, we have to put the things into place that are going to save the Jewish people before Haman comes to power. There are two things that have to happen. Number one, Esther has to be queen. Number two is that uh, Mordechai's name has to be in the book of Chronicles. Once those two things are in place, once the solution to the problem is potentially in place, then Haman can be brought to power. In Jewish history, however, we know that not every time there's a solution in place does it actually happen. And there are countless examples of this. Another time I'm happy to elaborate. There are many, many times that the solution is in place and it doesn't happen. So even though Esther was queen, and even though Mordechai's name was in the book of Chronicles, what made it work? 
what made Esther successful when she went to see the king? What made her successful was that she gathered the people together and they fasted. They united and they fasted. And therefore, what do we immediately recognize? That because of the fast of Esther, the miracle of Purim happened. And that's why we fast the day before, even though that's not when it happened historically. So that we are to understand that without the fast of Esther, there cannot be a Purim. Let's skip two months forward. And you understand my answer straight away. Yom HaZikaron is an inherent part of Yom HaAtzma'ut. Our country wasn't given to us on a silver platter. There are people who, uh, who died everywhere. Every single place that we live in in Israel has been created through the blood, the blood, the sweat, and the tears of the Jewish people. You can't celebrate Yom HaAtzma'ut without Yom HaZikaron. Because Yom HaZikaron reminds us of why we have our country. We have our country because people stood up and did something. People came to live in Israel. People sacrificed. And therefore, it would be, it would be unjust to enter Yom HaAtzma'ut without first seeing it's the essence of who we are. You understand? This is our country. We weren't given this country. It was never a gift. And so Yom HaZikaron is an inherent part of Yom HaZikaron. But in the same way that I tried to explain that you can't have Purim without Tanit Esther, because the, the, the fast of Esther is what triggered the miracle of Purim, you can't have Yom HaAtzma'ut without Yom HaZikaron, because, because it's this this ultimate sacrifice. It's the ultimate sacrifice. Someone gives up their life uh, in order that we can live, in order that we can have a country. There is nothing greater than that. Uh, these are righteous people. It, it doesn't matter whether they were religious or not religious. They gave what is dearest. They gave their lives so that we can live here. And therefore, they are part of our celebration because without them, we simply wouldn't have a celebration. So that's why we have Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzma'ut one right after the other. They're just so connected. We can't have Yom HaTzma'ut without all the sacrifices of Yom HaZikaron. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. Okay, so what if someone comes to visit Israel when it isn't Yom HaZikaron and it isn't Yom HaTzma'ut? How can they show this honor and gratitude that you're describing? You probably know this, that whenever people come to Israel, there are certain places that they go to. Uh, one place, of course, is the Kotel, and other places, Yad Vashem, the, the museum regarding the Holocaust. But maybe it's something that you, you would like to do and you would find interesting to do, would come and pay your respects on Har Herzl. Uh, and it's quite a, an incredible place. Uh, Har Herzl is divided into wars. And therefore, you have a section for 1948, a section for 1956, for 1967, for 1973, for 1981, for the Lebanon War, and the more, the more recent people as well. Um, and, and you can go to Har Herzl, there's a museum at Har Herzl, and you can pay your respects to, to those people who have given the greatest, the greatest thing that they have to give, their lives, uh, so that we can have the State of Israel. And I think that if you do go there and you go there in an organized fashion, uh, you won't be disappointed. It will be it will be a very inspiring part of your trip. But Rav Milstone, what about on your mat's mode? What should what should we be thinking about on your mat's mode? If we move on from Yom Hazikaron 
to Yom Ha'atzma'ut than when I first said it to my family, my wife's family, a few years ago. It shocked everyone. I said, you know, for me, it's uh, the most important day in the Jewish calendar because every other day in the Jewish calendar, we're remembering something that happened in Egypt or in the desert. Uh, but this, we're not remembering this. We're doing now. We're, we're living it now. We know we live in Israel. Uh, Israel exists now. We are, we are living a miracle. We are living a, a reality where the Jewish people, after 2,000 years, after a Holocaust, which decimated, destroyed the Jewish people, have come home. And it, it actually, for me, I would like you all to come and live here. You're probably a bit young to come and live here now. But even if a Jew decides not to live in Israel, that there should be an incredible appreciation for the fact, and we take this for granted. I also take this for granted, you know, I'm quite a young man, as you can see, uh, or you can hear, you probably hear from my voice that I'm a very young man. Uh, but even I was born, I was one years old when the, when Jerusalem came back to the Jewish people. I don't know Israel without the Jew Jerusalem. I don't know what it is to be a Jew without Israel. Uh, before before the, there was a country, before we had a country, uh, people had nowhere to go and they got stuck in Europe and they never left Europe. Uh, our appreciation for Israel, uh, the Jewish people have a homeland. And even if you decide to stay wherever you are, you will always know that you have somewhere to go. And so this day, uh, uh, the Yom Azikaron is a sacrifice. Was the sacrifice worth it? Well, I didn't give my life, but, but for the Jewish people, of course it was worth it because we have a home and we have a homeland and you have a homeland as well. And it doesn't mean that you can't appreciate the country that you're living in. You have a Jewish homeland. This is something that we haven't had for 2000 years. And one thing you should know when we did have it 2000 years ago, there were only 40,000 Jews in Israel. Today, there are 7 million Jews in Israel. And so that's an incredible thing. And it's happening in our lifetimes. That is, wow, what a miracle. Very often, I'm sure you've said it yourself, people say to their teachers, we never see miracles and we only read about them in the Bible. And it's not true. I mean, we, we're living a miracle. We're living a prophecy uh, in our lifetime. I work in the old city of Jerusalem every single day uh, of, of a working week. I, I go to the old city of Jerusalem and I grew up in, uh, in the diaspora. I would never have dreamt of such a, a wonderful experience. Uh, we're living a miracle. We're living a prophecy. So wherever you are, it doesn't matter. As a Jew, wherever you are, you we have to we have to think and appreciate the sacrifice, but but even more so, we have to appreciate our reality that we have a homeland, we have a country. And uh, Israel also looks after all of the Jewish people all over the world in so many different ways. If we had the time, I could read you Menachem Begin's speech after the raid on Entebbe in 1976, where where the Israeli army flew for thousands of miles to rescue hijacked Jews and bring them back to Israel. Uh, so Israel, the appreciation that we have Israel, and it's particularly important for people like us who don't know what it is to be a Jew without Israel. And therefore we sometimes take it for granted. Uh, we should never take such a thing for granted. And uh, I, I often tell our students that when, um, when we're visiting Poland, that if the people there in, in the camps in Poland had have known what would be in 70 years time, they wouldn't have believed it. It's just unbelievable. Really, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It is an overt miracle that, that we have a country and an army. Uh, we fought the war of independence with one fighter jet. We had one fighter jet. 
we'd have guns, we had pickaxes and we had spades. We had very old guns that the British might have forgotten to take away from us. And uh, the, the whole story of the state of Israel is, is a walking miracle. And a Jew, any Jew all over the world uh, has to appreciate that and, and celebrate that. It, it's, it's simply unbelievable. If, if we weren't living it, you wouldn't believe it. It would be a book. You would think it was some kind of Harry Potter novel. You, you, you think it wasn't, it wasn't for real. So wherever you are, I think, I think this is a day to appreciate that everything is about appreciation. We're called Yehudim, right? Because the root of the name Yehuda is Hodaya, is to be grateful, is to be, is to be aware and appreciative. And both of these days, Yom HaZikon is appreciating the price that we paid and appreciating what we paid it for. And so wherever you are, you should have a, a Chag Atzma'ut Sameach. And uh, please, God, we'll see you in Israel. Thank you so much for stopping by today. Hi everyone, my name is Alex Drucker and I'm the producer of I've Got a Question. Shira and I have been blown away by the response to our first few episodes and we're so excited to make more. But in order to do that, we need something from you. Questions. If you have a question about anything to do with Judaism or Israel, the Torah, something you learnt in school, please send it in. We'd love to find the answers for you. All you have to do is send us a voice note by email to podcast at corinpub.com. Make sure you tell us your name and where you're from and ask us your question nice and clearly. If you don't have a question, we'd still love to hear from you. You can send us jokes, facts you'd like to share or just ideas for future episodes. Shira and I listen to every single message that we get and we read all of the emails and we can't wait to receive yours. So send it to podcast at karenpub.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Now let's get back to Eliza's question. We have so much to be grateful for now that we have Israel. And who better to speak to as we get into the spirit of gratitude than an actual soldier? He's not just any chayal. He chose to leave his home and the country he was born in to come serve in the Israel Defense Forces. Let's call Chayal Zach Brown. Hi, Zach. Welcome to I've Got a Question. Thank you so much. Great to be here. For a Chayal in Israel, your English is really good. What's your story? Um, I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. I came, came to Israel three years ago to go to yeshiva. Um, I spent a year and a half in yeshiva, and then I decided to draft to the Israeli Defense Forces. So what inspired that decision to choose to be a chayal? Being, being in Israel and going around the streets, going around different cities, and look, seeing chayalim standing on the side of roads, walking in Jerusalem on a Friday, being with their family, looking at Facebook posts, and just seeing, looking, coming from a Zionistic community, hearing about the army, hearing about Israel, hearing about everything to come in to put the next step, to put the push on actually becoming a chayal and seeing that, look, the guys who I used to look up to, it's now one of me. And now there's other people that are looking up to me. At what point did you know you wanted to do this? Was it during that time learning in yeshiva or it sounds like maybe you felt that way even earlier? Um, so there were definitely always roots of coming to the army, going to a Mosheva camp my whole life, um, 
being in a B'nai Akiva high school, coming to Israel on vacation, my family, with friends and whatever. Um, and then going after being on a Tiyul in the West, West Bank one time, I happened to be there when there was an attack and happened to see things that probably a yeshiva guy shouldn't have seen. But that kind of gave me the final push. After seeing all the chayali walking around the streets and, and whatnot, just being able to put the final push and being like, this is my call in life. We're putting everything aside and we're dropping everything and coming to be a soldier. The situation you just described of witnessing an attack, I, I imagine reacting to something like that could go either way. It could inspire someone, but it could also scare them, no? How did you use that experience to inspire you forward instead of scaring you away? You see, I see a lot of people, a lot of people who I know are always like, yeah, I was going to draft to the army, but then this came up and, you know, maybe I'll do that in the future. To me, I thought to myself, look, if I, after yeshiva, go back home, then I'll get settled back in, in Toronto and I'll, I'll never make the push to come be a soldier. So after finally making the push, seeing like, this is what I want after more and more Fridays in Jerusalem, more Tivoli, more Facebook posts, more everything after actually being able to see a lot more and being able to understand it after being in Israel, understanding what it kind of means to be a chayal, I decided to make the push that if I don't do it now, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life and that I'm never actually going to do it. Zach, can you tell us a bit about what it's like to be a chayal? Um, Being a chayal, it changes on a day-to-day basis. There's some days where it will be very, very crazy protecting people, going on patrols, going on arrests, um, and then you have days where you're not really doing anything. You're hanging around with your friends. You're going home. You're taking care of stuff that you have to do. But it's, it's a lot of fun, especially when you see when you're standing at a, at a tzomet at a crossroads and people come up to you and say, thank you for what you're doing. And even if they don't understand half the things that you're doing, that moment where a little kid comes up to you and he says, thank you so much for what you're doing, that, that just like it seals the deal. How does actually being a chayal compare to what you expected it to be like? Um, It's super different than what I thought it would be. I didn't know a lot of the things. I knew a lot about of the, I I knew a lot of the army before coming into the army. But once you, once I actually got into the army, I learned a lot more about who I was, about Israel, about what it means to protect the Jewish people. Um, Before I drafted to the army, I thought every soldier was a combat soldier who was walking around with a gun in the green uniform and whatever. And now I see how many different parts there are to the army and how everything happens to fall into place. So you can be in Sahal, be a soldier, and not be a combat soldier fighting? There's there's so many different parts of the army. There kind of does happen to be a part for everyone in the army. I have friends, for example, who didn't want to go the combat route, and they take care of soldiers' religious needs on a base. I have other friends who sit and watch cameras making sure that people aren't people who shouldn't be in Israel aren't coming towards the gate. I have friends who clean clean planes every single day. I have friends who are riding in tanks and cleaning tanks. I have friends who are cooking for the Chayalim. There, there's so many different jobs that you just learn after being in the army that it really could be something for, for everyone. Zach, what on earth made you choose to leave your friends and family and join the army? You didn't have to do that. Um, I definitely did not have to do that. And a lot of the Israelis remind me that I came and I, I threw, I didn't throw away, but that I left a very different life back in Canada. Um, it's, it was weird at first. Cause at first I was used to, I was an American yeshiva, only English all day. 
uh, being with everyone who only speaks English. Then one day, everyone just only speaks Hebrew. And I had to adjust to that and really up my Hebrew skills. Um, but it was, it was definitely very hard. My family became very supportive of it, of me drafting to the army. All of my friends are like, you're doing really cool stuff. And especially now during the Corona times where everyone's sitting there on Zoom all day cooped up in their house. And I happen to be, be able to be free in Israel, go around, learn new places, visit new places and whatnot. Means, it means a lot. People, people back in Canada and in the U.S., they look at us and they're like, you guys left your houses to go serve the Jewish people. That's something that like, I really, really look up to. And I could see how other people look up to us from no matter where they are in the world, even in Israel. People, people love bringing us stuff. They love saying thank you to us. And to be a chayal, really just to me, it means I'm serving the Jewish people. And I'm able to see it now from a different perspective than I saw it a year ago. You mentioned Hebrew. For any of our listeners looking up to you that may want to follow in your footsteps, what's one helpful Hebrew term they should know? After, after every sentence, the Israelis always like to throw in the word achi, which means my brother. Um, and it, it has, it's a very simple term, but deep down it has a lot of meaning to it because you know that these are your brothers. You're going into everything with them. And it, even if it doesn't really mean a lot, it means a lot. So, Achi, my brother, and in a unit of Chayalot, I would say Achoti, my sister. Zach, how do you think being a Chayal is going to impact your Yom HaAtzmaut this year? To me, this year, I'm anticipating that it's going <clears> to, <throat> it's really going to change my perspective and that I'm going to really see how much people appreciate what we do, how much what I'm defending really means to us, and that hopefully everyone, everyone will just see that this is the Jewish land. We have to celebrate it. Well, we wouldn't have our Jewish land to celebrate if not for the incredible Chayalim like you. We are so grateful for everything that you're doing. Our listeners can't even see this right now, but Zach is in full gear, full uniform on the Kfir Brigade base, taking time to speak with us. So Zach, thank you not only for taking the time to speak with us, but for everything you're doing, literally as we speak, to protect Israel. We're so proud to have you defending us. Zach, how can we possibly thank you and all of our chayalim for everything you're doing? Um, when walking on the streets of Israel, if you see a chayal, chayalim are the most friendly people. Just go up and say hi, say thank you, give them a high five, give them a snack, give them, give them something that just shows that you appreciate them. Say thanks, hi, shalom, whatever whatever you want. Um, people people from Chutzaretz, there's so many organizations that people could donate to that really go out and help the chayalim. Um, they go out to the checkpoints, they go out to the most remote areas that the soldiers are serving and they bring them, they bring them snacks, they bring them food, they bring them love. And that's what people from Chutzlarets can do until they come and they're actually able to interact with the soldiers one-on-one. Thank you so much. Aren't our Chayalim just incredible? Every one of them. Wait, have you, have you ever heard about the youngest Chayal? Oh, I have to tell you. His name was Nisim Gini. I've got a story. Nisim Gini was born in 1938. He grew up in the old city of Yerushalayim, pretty close actually to where Rav Milstone's school is now. Nisim was a regular kid. He had brothers and a big sister, Chaya. He went to school. He was a master at playing hide-and-seek. Then on May 14, 1948, when Nisim was in fourth grade, Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion declared our independence, 
For the first time in over 2,000 years, Israel was finally ours again. But as you probably know, the situation soon became terribly dangerous. The very next day, all the armies of the surrounding Arab countries began to attack the Jews of Israel. The Jordanian army attacked the old city of Yerushalayim, where Nisim and his family lived. The Jordanian army attacked the old city of Yerushalayim, where Nisim and his family lived. Jordanian troops blocked the city gates so that the Jews inside were completely isolated. We had only 200 chayalim with very few weapons, and despite all our efforts, many chayalim were captured or killed. The situation with the Jordanians kept getting more and more challenging, so the Jews who lived in the old city stepped up to help in whatever way they could. Even children volunteered to help. Nisim's sister Chaya, for example, cared for the sick and wounded. Other kids brought food and coffee to the soldiers. But Nisim had a very special job because he had a special talent. Remember? He was a hide-and-seek master. Nisim knew all of the hidden passageways and secret shortcuts of the old city. He was a master at sneaking through these passageways like a ninja to bring weapons and supplies to the Chayalim. But the bravest and most important way that Nisim helped during the Jordanian fighting was when he would sneak away at night as a spy to gather and bring information to the Chayalim about where the Jordanian troops were and what they were up to. Nisim would often run under a storm of Jordanian bullets, risking his life in order to fulfill his mission. The information that nine-year-old Nisim brought to the Chayalim saved many lives. On the 27th of May, 1948, there was a knock on the door of the Gini family's home. We need you at the observation post, the man told Nisim. No, said his mother. I can hear the bullets. The fighting is getting closer and closer. Leave Nisim here. Outside is getting very dangerous. Nisim turned to his mother and said, What do you want, mom? That I should stay at home while others die? So Nisim went to the observation post, right by where the northern steps leading to the Kotel Plaza are nowadays. But a Jordanian sniper took aim. He took aim at Nisim. Nisim was rushed to get medical help. He was treated by his big sister Chaya, who tried desperately to stop the bleeding from the gun wound. But the next day, Nisim Gini died. That very day, after 14 days of heroic fighting, we had to surrender the old city of Yerushalayim. The Jordanians took about 500 of us as prisoners, and the rest of the Jews were taken out of the city. The bodies of the Chayalim who were killed, including Nisim, had to be left behind. David Ben-Gurion once said, In Eretz Yisrael, in order to be a realist, you must believe in miracles. Fast forward, 19 years later, it was a time of miracles of Nisim. In June 1967, our Chayalim once again fought courageously against the Jordanian army. And this time, with the help of Hashem, we won. At last, Jews could return to the old city of Yerushalayim. When the fighting finally calmed down, an old Arab man approached one of the Israeli officers and brought him to a corner of the old city. The man pointed to the ground and said, The bodies of a few Jews are buried here. I buried them myself in 1948. The Jordanians wanted to burn the bodies, but I did not allow them. What a chesed this man had done, and what an opportunity now to be able to give these precious bodies a proper burial.
So the Chayalim carefully unearthed the bodies, but the fighters couldn't be identified. So much time had passed, there was no way to recognize who the bodies used to be, except for one, one that still had some baby teeth. It was the precious body of Nisim Gini. Nisim was ultimately buried with honor on Har Herzl and recognized as the youngest fallen soldier of the Israel Defense Forces. Aliza, thank you for your question today. Yom Ha'atzma'ut coming right after Yom Hazikaron feels like an emotional roller coaster. You're really low and sad one minute, and then suddenly you're blasting into joy and celebration. Speaking with Rev Millstone helped me see that if Yom Hazikaron wasn't right before Yom Ha'atzma'ut, we couldn't do Yom Ha'atzma'ut properly. As Yehudim, we are a people who recognize the good that we have but we simply wouldn't have our independence without the sacrifice of the people who we honor and remember on Yom HaZikaron. Having our Memorial Day right before our Independence Day gives our celebration so much meaning. And it works the other way too. With all of the heartache and pain of Yom HaZikaron, we can find comfort in the day that celebrates what all of the sacrifice was for. L'hiyot am chofshi be'artzenu to be a free nation in our land, to get to have role models to look up to, like Zach Brown. Even though our time is up, now I have even more questions to think about. What do Chayalim like to do for fun? Do you have to be really strong or really fast to be a Chayal? What's it like for a kid to make Aliyah? What can I do on Yom Ha'atzmaut to celebrate Israel? Those are some of the questions I still have. You probably have more questions too. There's always more to wonder. But one final question before signing off today. <clears throat> Want to hear a special message just for you from our amazing Chayalim and Chayalot? Hi, I'm Kiki. Wishing you a Chagat Smutzameach from the headquarters of the Home Front Command. Hi, I'm Yossi Sheldon. I'm from England. And I wish you a Chagat Smutzameach. I'm Hillel from Staten Island, New York. Chagat Smutzameach. Hey, I'm Chaim Weinstein from Teaneck. Hi, I'm Mayor Bloom from Los Angeles, and I want to wish you a wonderful Chagat Smut Sameach. Hey, everyone, what's up? I'm Abigail, wishing you all a Chagat Smut Sameach from La Via Bika. Hi, I'm Nathan from Montreal. Chagat Smut Sameach. Hey, I'm Chaim Lennon from Boca Raton, Florida. Chagat Smut Sameach, guys. Thank you for listening to I've Got a Question. If you've got a question, send me a voice note to podcast at corinpub.com. We listen to every single question and love hearing from you. So until next time, I've Got a Question is hosted and produced by me, Sheer Greenspan. Thank you to our guests, Rev. David Millstone and Zach Brown. I've Got a Question is edited and produced by Alex Drucker. I've Got a Question is part of the Corin Podcast Network.